Andres Gomez Mielsen. Hello again, brother. Hello again, brother. How is it going? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm so excited that we'll get another round together after almost two years since the last round. Yeah. 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 It's been it's been a while. That's right. And we've done several episodes with Quality Research Institute. We've done several episodes on consciousness. We had the computational properties of consciousness. We had the chemistry of consciousness. Now we'll be unpacking also energy and consciousness. Yeah. And we'll get to hear about a good amount of what's transpired over the last two years for QRI. And, and also just like mystically and quantum mechanically. That's sure. been like, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> much like the core of, you know, science and spirituality merged uh, and where the riddles are at. Yeah. Right there. yeah. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> yes. yes. Cool. So why don't we... Why don't we start things off with this question and then we'll have you um, slot in any time you need us to visit some of the stuff that's transpired over the last couple of years as examples and information. We can pull that up visually. Mm -hmm. So let's start with how does energy, how does what underlies everything create this yeah yeah great yeah, great. yeah we, we're going right into it andres there's there's no simple stuff uh when you have me interviewing <laughs> it's 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 all good it's all good how does energy come out of nothing and how you know these like crazy energetic exchanges uh that are happening every day like where do they come from um i think uh, i've thought very deeply about this question i have a, a a, a, a video essay on it. Uh, basically, if you go to my YouTube channel, it's called "Why Does Anything Exist?" or you know, "Why Is There Something Rather Than Nothing?" And um, I'll say the following: Like, a, I think a lot of people dismiss this question mostly because the style of explanations that you may kind of like require <laughs> in most kinds of problems simply don't apply here, right? Like, most types of explanations are based on, for example, uh, causal structures, uh, and uh, of course, like when you're talking about like how does something, why why does the causal structure exist to begin with? Then you're kind of like left in a way that you know you actually need to exit that frame if you want to get any kind of answer. So ultimately, I think like the kind of explanation that we will get will not be of the sort of how was the universe caused? Because again, that's kind of like assuming the frame of causality. Instead, I think the kind of frame that we should be investigating is one of implication. It's not that the universe was caused by something, it's that the universe is Im implied or entailed or like logically necessary <laughs> as a function of something else that is primary and actually impossible for it to not be the case. And the thing that I think, um, basically there's like three lines of evidence that I think like kind of converge in the same point, which is, um, and this is from David Pierce, it's called, um, uh, zero ontology, but basically there's something very curious and I'll kind of like briefly outline these three things, which is 
what exactly is zero or what exactly is nothingness that we have like such a difficulty actually grasping or imagining it whatever we imagine it as obviously obviously it's not it um so my claim would be that actually we currently have a pre-theoretical understanding of nothingness that there is such a thing as nothingness it is not what we are trying to imagine when we bring up that word it's something much more profound <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh it shows up in three completely different places that i actually suspect are the same thing from different angles so number one is physics like it seems that the total energy of the universe is actually zero if you add up the potential energy and the negative energy that comes from um yeah basically like space expanding you add all of that together that's zero if you add together the total electric charge of the universe that also is zero um the same with like many other properties you know the total curl or the total divergence in the fields of physics all of that comes down to zero um and uh in, in a way you know in, in quantum mechanics yes like many of the things that you will see is kind of like how kind of like from the quantum void you get like a particle and an antiparticle and there's kind of like a universal accounting system to make sure that everything actually adds up and i think like you know anything that exists will have kind of like that underlying accounting system that from a strange angle maybe it makes it equivalent to nothingness or equivalent to the void in a strange way maybe reality is kind of like the void seen from a different point of view that's number one the second is mathematics that like essentially every number implies every other number right like you cannot have the number 42 without the number 43 or without the number two right like they all entail each other there it's not that the 40 it's not that the number 42 causes the number 43 is that the number 42 entails or implies the number 43 and the kind of like observation here is that maybe really the um the 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 number that really exists is um uh Oh no, I think you're a bit frozen, but okay, I'll, I'll continue, which is um, uh, the number zero, which is, okay, hi. <laughs> yeah, I froze on the desktop and I'm uh, now on my laptop. The same issue came up yesterday. I thought the desktop had come up with a solution to it, uh, but apparently not, so I will, power cycle my desktop while i use my laptop so please do continue perfect perfect yeah yeah please. okay so like the number 42 did not does not cause the number 43 right it's not like it's like it's not a causal explanation the number 42 implies the number 43 they're logically necessary one another likewise we think that you know maybe the number zero is like truly a, a fundamentally necessary like you can't get rid of the number zero and it implies the rest of the numbers i mean in, in there's a lot of like cool mathematical constructions of how you can get from the empty set you can create like any number by nesting the empty, empty set in interesting ways so that and that's math the final one which i is the one that actually excites me the most is phenomenology that actually on these like very like advanced stages of meditation or you know the extreme cases like 5-MeO DMT you can actually experience I think zero ontology firsthand where basically 
there's this very common experience in Buddhism, they call it the, the rainbow body, where like basically everything is experienced as kind of a diffraction of like the one light, you know, speaking metaphorically or, 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 or literally, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> and uh, there's kind of this diffraction of all of the possible colors and feelings and sensations at once. And then you look at it from a different angle where like they all line up perfectly and it all cancels out and you actually get kind of this void and kind of you, you can go back and forth. And like on a low dose of 5-MeO-DMT, this is not that rare. Like, it, you know, it's maybe one in five a chance that you may actually experience kind of this phenomenon. And I would say that that is probably a phenomenological demonstration of zero ontology. That like, yes, actually consciousness is fundamentally kind of this, you know, void with zero information, but it is kind of an unstable void and you can energize it and it will diffract and it will create all of its possible colors. And that is not just a theoretical thing. It's something that you can actually experience. And I think it's like something that can actually be studied. And ultimately, I also think that, you know, consciousness uh, will fit in the paradigm of physics and vice versa. Physics will fit in the paradigm of consciousness. And that leads this like very advanced stages where you experience the rainbow consciousness flip-flopping towards like the void consciousness, that those will have like very important physics equations that describe them. And like actually probably, yeah, that, that that's kind of like the source. <laughs> you want to understand the Big Bang, probably understanding that type of a boundary in consciousness is very important. Uh, I guess I'll add one last thing about this whole zero ontology paradigm, which is that what's really uh, kind of exciting here is that it redefines information. So basically, we tend to think of information as like, you know, state specifications as kind of like, oh, like in a in a check in a in a chess game is like information is like, here's a pawn. And here's a bishop and here's a king. Um, but a different way of seeing information is as the ruling out of possibilities. That like when you know there's a pawn in here, that means that the pawn is not anywhere else. Like you just ruled out a whole bunch of possibilities. So in that sense, like information is taking off possibilities. And what zero ontology would say is that what's actually real is zero information. But zero information entails all possibilities. That is like when you say like, I have a chessboard, but I can't tell you anything about it. That means any configuration is possible, right? Likewise, I think it's kind of like the, the Big Bang and the universe is like that. It's like truly, actually, there's no information. And as a consequence, all the possibilities are realized. So that's that's how energy creates the universe. <laughs> wow. Mm. Cool. Wow. That's the the analogy that you just wrapped with is so cool which is that if you're given a a boundless space then you're not given any other information about what's appearing on said boundless space um you'll never come to the end of appearances on said boundless space um, yeah and and I like how you broke it down into you have a a what is zero, you have a math, you have a phenomenology, and I, I like this 
style of breakdown. I think it's insightful uh, to break it down into its components and then try and synthesize them. Um, because and, yeah, and physics. physics. And the physics would be the, the last one, yeah. Physics. And phenomenology entailing spirituality and mysticism, union with God, all this type of stuff. And this also really deeply plays into when we talk about the, the substrate, the substratum, that it's becoming more and more of direct experience, not just concepts of the mind, but direct experience of the heart, of the gut, viscerally, that everything is the one light. And then that one light appears simultaneously in all of this apparent differentiation. Yep. And that's the beauty of it is that when you see someone that is locked into their apparent cage of separation and conditioning, that that is the light appearing at a lower density of consciousness than when the light appears as a higher density of consciousness, when there is no cage, where it's just the light recognizing itself. And so maybe that would be a good question for you to ask is, if you did visualize it, we could just play with one way to visualize it, which would be the light disperse, dispersion through the prism into its into it, the visible light rainbow. And so you have what appears to be this source light oneness of indescribable perfection that everything always is. Mm -hmm. And then you also have what appears to be this chakra system, just like behind Andres. Yeah. <laughs> and you see how apparently we see many um, individuals, pieces of life, that seem to be in this very yellow chakra, this very sort of solar plexus shifting from solar plexus to heart. And then you see other mystics or yogis that are just blasted through their crown. <laughs> and so now the question would be, well, Andre, how does the, how does the substratum, how does the substrate, the underlying light that everything is, how does that, emerge as the appearance of something that is either in this yellow or in this purple and it all at the same time yeah 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 well there's definitely a lot to to comment on there i mean and, and like I, I i i agree with the overall kind of aesthetic like i'll, I'll mention that um there's a, maybe some twists interesting twists because uh i mean a, it is absolutely the case that like consciousness has like different densities and you know this is something you can experience with meditation or you know psychedelics um the most like if, if somebody is like complete non-believer that like there are different different densities of consciousness like you know 30 milligrams of dmt should be pretty clarifying that like <laughs> oh gosh actually yes there's like these various like energy bands <laughs> and it's not just one more band there's like you know several several above like the one that we uh we tend to imagine as like the normal one and of course all of them will if they're locked in they will believe themselves to be the one normal way for consciousness to be which is 
yeah, obviously not. Like we are in a very you know specific type of configuration, and uh, we don't notice it because it's like fish swimming in the water essentially. Um, but uh, I, I will make the so roughly speaking, lower densities does give you more flexibility, and that's like nice, more fluidity. And as a general rule, you will find that like lower density states of consciousness are in a sense like it's harder to get stuck in them in a, in a bad configuration, but it's not by any means uh, impossible, unfortunately. And likewise, I would say like in the lower density realms, there is also like very loving, very blissful configurations that are actually, I would say like aligned with the whole. Um, it's just that they may have like somewhat more limited information and like limited fluidity and flexibility, but uh, it doesn't make them like bad in in, in any way. So um, I would bring up more kind of a, like there's a lot of kind of this this uh, trope I guess in a, in a lot of circles of like like all we have to do is increase our frequency, and I think like maybe to a first approximation actually that can be really good, and I can explain in detail why that can be really good, but the deeper story is that the frequency is only a piece of the puzzle. And actually, the, the thing that matters the most is harmony. And harmony can actually arise in any level of consciousness, just as dissonance and disharmony can also arise in any level, except probably the absolute highest, which is actually just positive. Uh, for <laughs> for reasons that have to do with uh, symmetry and 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 the geometry of the of the of the configuration of experience that yeah essentially super ultra high energy consciousness tends to be just pure positive because it doesn't have like other configurations but anywhere else there are both you know there's both the dark and the light side within every every you know realm and like you know, so somebody somebody who might be skeptical of that also is kind of like, yeah, you can take take DMT, <laughs> and you can encounter some pretty nasty entities up there in the in the higher you know and uh, realms of like lower density as well. Um, and uh, so it's not like a fail safe approach. I think uh, um, rather, yeah, thinking in terms of a uh, harmony, like understanding that in a sense, it's not about like you know the best music is not just like music that plays like the highest notes all the time. It's music that is properly harmonized, and that that is like much more sophisticated because you require the math of harmony, and even for music that's uh, pretty tricky. And when it comes to like three-dimensional embodied objects like us, <laughs> actually the math of the harmony of those objects is a lot more tricky. Which is, I mean, ultimately, yeah, what we are studying at, at QRI that we're this is like our <laughs> one of the main pieces of, of our thrust is like, can we figure out the music theory of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Okay, I like that. So if we were to play with this music theory of consciousness, if we were to play with the harmony, if we were to be able to envision this both zero-point energy, shunyata, nothing, void, simultaneously as we envision infinite creation, infinite manifestation, infinite appearance. And we're able to envision that as both an absolute oneness 
at yep. the same time as a sort of dispersion of differentiation, that then there's a music theory of consciousness around how that codependent arising emerges as what appears to be a more harmonic versus a more dissonant state of being of expression. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, there's a, there's so much in here. Like one, one very important piece um, is um, even the, I mean, yeah, this kind of zero point, point of like, um, we, we call them, you know, like a more technical term is like, like very high valence states of consciousness. And in particular, the ones that we are talking about here would be high valence, high energy state of consciousness, which obviously connects to the whole question of energy. And uh, we will bridge it in a second. Um, but uh, basically, we think that like what gives rise to the dissonance in our experience is actually uh, asymmetries in the shape that is our consciousness. And the analogy that we can think of it is like, if, if you have kind of a, uh, a ball that has like a lot of hairs, this is called the, the hairy ball theorem. It doesn't matter how you comb it, it will always have like a hair sticking out. And so there are some configurations of consciousness that like, you know, you may rearrange the deck chairs, so to speak, you know, the, the thoughts and ideas and the feelings, but it doesn't matter how you rearrange them. There's still something that feels off. It doesn't fit properly. And it's like, it's an impossible puzzle. I mean, just as like combing a sphere, it's impossible. It, mathematically, it will always have kind of these like sticking, uh, <laughs> sticking hair uh, or vector. Um, but if you try to comb a donut, you can actually do it. Like you can comb a donut um, circularly and it doesn't have anything sticking out of it. So I would think that, yeah, basically a lot of these kind of deeper transformations on consciousness through a lot of meditation or take the 5-MeO DMT experience, when people say like, you know, it was perfect, it was perfectly aligned. There were no internal tensions or dissonances. It is like a perfectly calmed field. Like it just, the, the awareness field lines are just not intersecting with each other. <laughs> it makes this, yeah, beautiful kind of toroidal energy system, you know, to speak more, more loosely. And, uh, and here's like what, uh, what I'll say, like people who experience this, they will often say like, you know, that was ultimate reality, that was perfection. I'll, I'll mention this, um, it, there are many other shapes that have that property that may even fit more energy. So I think like a kind of like maybe us as kind of developing souls, if you will. Um, uh, yeah, basically it's like we're kind of like a sphere and we're like upset that we can't calm ourselves like fully and be completely satisfied. And then like maybe we do very serious practices and all of a sudden we can reshape ourselves into a torus and think like, wow, okay, this is perfection. What we don't know is that there's this other, you know, like way more advanced entities that can shape themselves into this four dimensional manifolds that can also be comped, except that they can store like thousands of times more energy and like explore thousands of times more configurations. So my, my intuition is that, yeah, I mean, kind of in the, the, the levels of possible peak love experiences or peak bliss experiences, we're barely scratching the surface. Like even the things that we say are perfect, there's still a special kind of perfect. And there's like many other varieties of perfection that uh, are just, yeah, not, not explored currently. I'm curious in this hairy ball theorem, yeah. 
could it be that that little hair that's jutting out? It could that be one of those patterns of conditioning, one of those trigger points? So it's like the perfect little piece of hair that's sticking out exactly for a catalyst to come and hit it so that it then has to like turn inward and analyze that oh, yeah. conditioning to awaken more. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, think of it as like a a, a trigger. Trigger point is not a bad not a bad analogy here because if somebody triggers you, right? Somebody says like X is not true, but part of your core belief system is that X is true. That's like somebody coming to your sphere and trying to like you know comb that little hair, but then like that has like profound implications, right? Because the like the spheres cannot be combed anyway. So like the 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 you know, it's kind of you're rob they're robbing you the wrong way, literally, <laughs> in this analogy. And like the uncombed hair will start propagating, and then like all of the sphere will become kind of haywire, and um, you'll need to rearrange yourself. And yeah, it's a very big task. Uh, whereas, yeah, if you're uh, somebody who's kind of like living in a Taurus consciousness instead, um, maybe you're untriggerable. People cannot trigger you. There's no place where you will have like a strong reaction because everything is perfectly smooth and, and combed. I love that. And also that if you're really purifying yourself of all of your separation and all of your conditioning, then you will earnestly get a reflection from someone and you will turn on that little hair and you will gently and lovingly radically accept it um, yeah. and love it and then transcend it. And then the hairball shift energetically, and then a new level of hair will pop out. Right? <laughs> the next catalyst that comes in, in a month or whenever the next one comes. Yeah. Um, when the next um, even more deep pattern of conditioning propagates itself into the field, where if you if you look at it from the very source itself into the field using the mind body spirit complex that's here into the field that when every single from the source of perception itself when every single utterance into the field is of the highest density expression it's more pure service it's more in honor in serving creation awakening rather than extracting for the unit of self that it's identified with how does yeah. that how does that style resonate as well along with this energetic emergence that the uh the emptying of self is what happens at, at, as the core uh insight as one uh increases in density of life Huge, huge uh, overlap. So here's what, what I have to say. So, uh, I mean, I very much, we very much think at QRI that uh, consciousness is actually a, a field. Um, and like the way the brain works is that it's uh, pinching, making a topological pinch on the field of consciousness and is using the holistic behavior of, of the field in order to do computation, which is, yeah, a crazy thing. I mean, from this perspective, Evolution, actually, the reason it, it cares about consciousness is because it's a very efficient computational system, <laughs> yeah. energetically and, yeah. and, you know, in terms of runtime complexity. 
but then like you know it's actually recruiting you know <laughs> a tiny piece of you know universal consciousness to do you know the the beating of the genetic uh you know selfish gene or whatever it may be uh, but uh but no i mean consciousness itself has interests and one of the things i talk about is uh, consciousness versus replicators that like we currently are in a point in the evolutionary history where the actual desires and um, what consciousness wants has a chance of manifesting in reality um, that like in a sense like through us we can choose to actually try to benefit consciousness rather than just our selfish genes you know or just you know patterns that are good at making copies of themselves i mean that there's a lot of them like from viruses to you know infectious memes or you know toxic ideas to all the way to kind of like um yeah i mean essentially something like a, a supercomputer um you know self recursive AI, self -re uh, recursively improving ai and things like that which is yeah kind of like counter to like actually the the well-being of consciousness which is truly truly what matters and the way in which that happens is by the organism being shaped in such a way that it convinces consciousness that who it truly is is whatever patterns is kind of like keeping the consciousness hostage, which is a very crazy thing, right? Like when people have a very strong ego, is actually something like a Stockholm syndrome, right? It's like the the patterns themselves are very punishing, and in order to avoid that punishment, you just do whatever they ask you to do, which is yeah, just such a sad situation. It's like consciousness is being held hostage <laughs> by our yeah the the selfish genes uh, we could say, um, and uh, the way in which I think that's fundamentally implemented. It has to do with basically this concept of um, viscosity and agglutination, that our default mode of experience is one where we are constantly kind of like carrying a center of mass that we associate as like, this is the self, or this is my individuality, or you know my, my history, and here are my traumas and my pains and my pleasures. And, uh, and it's a very visceral thing. I, I don't think it's only theoretical. Like you can actually notice like, okay, like where do I identify like I'm just behind my eyes or like I'm over here or like maybe I am stuck in the dyadic relationship with somebody or basically there's all of these kind of like points where you get agglutination and condensation that happens um, and they function as an energy sink uh, actually. And be, whenever things like that happen in your nervous system, which is that that's like the default mode i mean that's like how we we evolved and <laughs> for the most part that's what we are um they function as energy sinks and also as blockages basically waves of energy cannot travel smoothly um because they get reflected and interfere with these points of agglutination and kind of a a long cycle of like you know meditation uh, annealing um neural annealing via meditation or psychedelics can slowly actually break down that center kind of like center of mass and the breakdown will have like some pretty um uh reliable kind of like stages along which and i mean obviously the the stages of insight as described in mastering the the core teachings of the buddha the lens of like hey the, yeah this is like annealing processes breaking down the sense of self i think yeah that's a, a very good lens to to make sense of all of these and it also explains kind of a that like in a lot of kind of these intermediate stages between like hey like a fully condensed ego and a non-ego kind of field of consciousness 
there's like a lot of strange intermediate places where like there's like ego fragments for example that are like still being worked through and all sorts of crazy things can happen in in that process um but you know apparently there's a light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> but uh <laughs> but yeah i mean uh the, the 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 thing to note here is that um i very much think that yeah it's something like like it is kind of like the hairy ball theorem that like our sense of self or ego as these like point of agglutination of attention field lines it is literally kind of like a place where you have these uh, vector fields actually sticking out and they function as kind of a trigger points and they function also as uh, energy sinks and energy blockages so Anyway, all of these, yeah, it's kind of through the lens of uh, math and anthropology. Okay, <clears throat> this is great. So um, could it be that the, I'll share the word with you that I've been playing with that um, I think fits into this perfectly. I've been calling it a neuro-not, K-N-O-T, a neuro-not. A neuro-not, awesome. Yeah, a neural like knot. Yeah, neural knot. A okay. neural knot. Yeah. So, so that, yeah, I'll uh, I'll write it here also for people. Yeah, yeah. Neural knot. So it 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 looks like this, neural knot. And so it's been fun playing with this because it's it's as though there was this character called Alan a couple years ago that had a lot more of a neuro knot of conditioning and egoic patterns of behavior, a much more contracted energy of expression, trying to extract in relationships, all this type of stuff. And now there's the appearance of this Atlas character now, and that this Atlas character feels like so much of that neuro-knot is totally liberated, that so much of the patterns of conditioning, so much of the patterns of ego, so much of that has dissolved, so much separation has dissolved, so much more recognition of the underlying suchness is now present in the moment-to-moment -moment experience, an awake presence of love and compassion. And so that's very interesting in relation to the Harry Ball theorem, it would potentially be something like that as we dissolve more and more separation that and dissolve more and more of that conditioning, that in a sense, it's like lighting the Harry Ball on fire. And as though there, there is, yes, this this time where the hair the hair pieces are all over the place and then they slowly get less and less all over the place and then it's only a little bit left but we're burning it simultaneously and then it's all burned up but now here's the trick because um so this is the trick is that there's what i would call a quantum superposition that's happening so it's a quantum superposition because the neuro knot is both filled with conditioning and separation, but it's also filled with the concepts that enable you to know the, what an apple is. Or when, you know, when Andres says, hey, Atlas, will you go grab the microphone from the room? 
you know, you don't say, I don't, uh, you know what those symbols mean. And so this is what I say after that is an empty polymath. So the, the ball, the hair ball has been completely burned in this ascent, completely burned, but it's in a superposition where you can very easily access as needed the proper concepts. Mm -hmm. So how does, in in pure (laughs) service, how how do you resonate with this neuro not empty polymath? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I get what you mean. Uh, I think. <laughs> uh, so, let me see a couple, a couple of things. <clears throat> so, um, the first one is, yeah, I mean, there is this saying in in Zen Buddhism that, like, uh, you know, the the first stages is kind of like where. Um, in a sense, like everything, you're able to kind of like start to visualize like, you know, higher realms and like a lot of like interesting stuff. And it's very, very kind of like based on form, maybe very sublime. You know, you may encounter like, you know, deities like Tara or, you know, whoever it may be. Uh, but it is kind of like a play of form. And then there's kind of like this stage where basically you leave behind form and it's all about basically formless consciousness. Um, but then there's like an even more advanced stage, which is like the combination of both, like simultaneously. And I guess like hearing from um, uh, Frank Yang as well, like he was describing that like after his big awakening, the way he describes the phenomenology is, which stuck stuck with me very deeply because this sounds really awesome. He says like, he he feels like now he's permanently in a superposition of ninth jhana which is like beyond being a non-being together with I think like fourth jhana, uh, which, or like fifth jhana, infinite space, um, together with like normal everyday life consciousness. And they're all simultaneously present. And that that actually sounds like a, an amazing, you know, hedonic value, an amazing way of being that like, uh, if you can have direct access to these like different modalities of consciousness simultaneously and they're in harmony like that that seems yeah like a i mean again from the music theory perspective the music theory of consciousness perspective those are like these very precious gems in the state space of consciousness that are like you know uh, you need a lot of mining and a lot of refinement to to find them but like uh if you can you know it's a an amazing lifelong improvement um uh i guess like a another the the other thing that comes to mind is um um yeah, I mean, with uh, 5-MeO DMT, I mean, the explanation that we have at uh, at QRI is that, uh, and this comes from uh, Mike Johnson, basically, uh, it, there's an overlap between 5-MeO DMT and MDMA in that they both seem to essentially give rise to uh, a feeling of a unified field in your in your body and and mind, where like waves propagate, waves of energy propagate without resistance, and uh, and like. How could that possibly be the case? One one possible neurophysiological explanation is that we have a lot of different types of neurons, and so like if you look at the spiking, um, you know, the spiking curves of like electric potential for neurons over time, uh, depending on the neuron, that will look very different. Like a, a serotonergic neuron, the spike looks very different than a dopamine neuron, than an MDA, an MDA neuron. Um, but we suspect that 5-MeO DMT makes neurons spike in the same way 
uh, even if there are different types of neurons. Of, of course, this is an empirically testable prediction. We don't know. It, you know it's a hypoth hypothesis, but it would make sense because that would mean that neurons of very different types, like for example, your language centers and your visual centers and so on, all of a sudden can exchange energy seamlessly with each other because they're spiking exactly the same way. They have the same energetic dynamics. And phenomenologically, I mean, on a low dose of 5-MeO-DMT, what you will experience is you have your conditioned patterns kind of like all over your nervous system. And then you have this undercurrent of a universal field of energy where, with, where energy can move through without resistance. But they're both kind of simultaneously. And actually, a lot of it will feel like the field of energy behind is like teaching your patterns of conditioning. Hey, this is why this is so dissonant. Or like, this is the problem that you have like stuck inside of you. Like, look, it would be so much easier if you could just manage energy in this unified field because you don't get stuck. You don't get these patterns of dissonance. In higher doses, of course, there's like this interplay where as the energy in the unified field increases, the patterns of conditioning become very scared and actually may experience a lot of dissonance. And then there's the critical point of like whether you let go, in which case you become the unified energy field, <laughs> or whether you resist and you end up being this dissonance between the unified field and your you know pastiche of fields as we usually would be. Um, but uh, I, I think, uh, I mean, if, if you let go, but are still okay with kind of like patterns of conditioning, I think you can have like exact, you know, you can have your cake and eat it too. That's my my suspicion that like, it's not gonna be at that, hey, you have to abandon everything. <laughs> yeah, you, you can have your aid and eat it good. That would be the, how would uh, close close that reflection. I'm really glad that you shared what what Frank has been sharing with QRI as well. And he yeah. met, he's mentioned you guys several times when we've been featuring him on the show and whatnot. Nice. Yeah. And because it does, it does really feel like more and more a, an absolute unboundedness, an infinite spaciousness, a pure potentiality that's indescribable. Also a total awake presence, but also an ineffable transcendence. And then it also feels like a total ordinary person. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, you are infinite space while you're having a conversation with someone at the grocery store. Yeah. And that is uh, your totally present with them um, and you recognize that it's just infinity talking to itself and you are also totally transcended out of the dream that is the universe and it these these feelings that begin intellectual um they become more experiential uh and then you really begin feeling them in your heart and in your gut and they become visceral 
And moment to moment experience becomes that. And anytime you sort of stray away from being boundless space and you get into a, a couple discursive thoughts, oh my gosh, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts so much <laughs> to contract the energy. It hurts. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a, it's a contraction, or as you say, it's a dissonance. Mm -hmm. this, the dissonance hurts in, in comparison to the harmonic. Yeah. Yeah. Relative, relative to Nirvana, everything hurts. <laughs> even an ice cream, even, even tea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's been a big theme that we've been chatting with Frank about on the show. And I'm glad you brought those up. And it feels like another important one for us to, to play with is, so are we thinking that, that if we were to maybe create a visualization that there's, and we'll use concepts to try and explain this as best as we can, but that we have a, a zero point energy and then we have some sort of quantum field theory with electromagnetism, light, infused with love, that oneness mm -hmm. that is then appearing as form, as separate form that is then also differentiated based on its density of light. So there's, again, it was zero point energy, quantum field theory, uh, electromagnetism, love light, and the appearance of differentiation in densities of consciousness as form. How does, yeah, how does that resonate with what you've been studying? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll comment a couple of things. Uh, maybe the first one, yeah, is, uh, I mean, if in quantum mechanics, like zero ontology, I think like fits really well. Um, the content that I would recommend anybody to look at is, uh, uh, in YouTube, you actually can find like, a series of four lectures by Richard Feynman on quantum electrodynamics. And they're very, very accessible. I think like a non, like if you've never studied physics, you have a high school math, but like a desire to really understand it. Like he explains it super well for like a broad general audience. And uh, basically, yeah, I mean, what what is the case in physics and is crazy is that uh, the, prob like the probability of observing certain event given some other event is basically you think of the initial conditions and the point of observation as boundary conditions. And literally what happens in between those two is that every possibility gets realized. It's just that most of them end up canceling each other out. They cancel each other's amplitudes and you just get, oftentimes it's just going to be the shortest path. In some corner cases, you actually get like light travels through the longest path as well, which is an interesting result from, from the same theory. 
Um, yeah, most people think that light only travels through the shortest path, but actually sometimes it does through the longest path and, <laughs> and it's for the, the exact same mathematical reasons uh, that like every other path cancels out except what's called the extremis in physics. Um, and uh, all that you ever observe, I mean, I mean this is, I'm, I'm going to joke here, but like all that you ever observe is actually the extremis of physics, meaning that in some deep sense, um, extremism is true. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that's kind of like a geeky physics joke. But yeah, extremism is true because all that ever happens is the extremism of physics, which is basically shortest paths or longest paths. And, and that is derived through literally just adding up all of the possibilities at once and then just doing what's called a path integral that essentially cancels out almost all of them except the shortest path. But the other ones still happened. It's just that you, you didn't observe them. You, you, they're not affecting you because they're kind of canceling their own influence. So the idea here is that, well, that happens when you have two boundary conditions. But in the big multiverse, in the entirety of everything, there is no boundary. Therefore, actually, what ends up happening is all possibilities actually become realized. So um, it's kind of like if you take the Feynman diagrams, but without a boundary condition, I think that would be my explanation of actually what's going on for why there's something rather than nothing. Um, and the, the, those Feynman diagrams is the only way in which you can actually maintain zero information. So everything, yes, yeah, kind of this universal accounting system, uh, again, uh, everything being pure consciousness <laughs> at the bottom of it. Um, and uh, I, and the second thing I want to show is uh, actually, uh, if you Google in, in quality computing, it's called healing trauma with neural annealing. And uh, and uh, if you share the, the screen of that, I'll. I'll show you um, uh, a picture that I think is very relevant for what we're talking about. Healing trauma with neural annealing, right? Yes. Okay, one second. And th there's actually quite a few really good slides in, in there too. To maybe like briefly touch upon but uh yeah actually let, let's just go through a few of them and uh and and i'll get to the diagram that i want to show you as well in a second okay so this is this is what i have up here is this correct yes yeah so if you go down a little bit so the first slide, actually, after the, the video, uh, that one, psychedelic epistemology. Yeah, so this is, I mean, some people may ask, you know, people ask, like, why should I listen to you about, like, states of consciousness and psychedelics and so on? Um, I mean, here's the reason. Like, you know, at, at QRI, you know, in quality computing, We've been like putting a lot of effort into actually systematizing this, like actually like mapping out the state spaces, saying uh, new, you know, meaningful and non-trivial things about these states of consciousness, rather than just you know I saw pretty colors or something like that, or just saying something like, oh, and it was exactly what Alan Watts <laughs> said, which is also cool, but is not necessarily advancing the field as much. Um, but the one very deep reason is that a we basically are very systematic. Uh, about like cataloging the state space. Uh, B, we actually try to find the core dynamics 
that explain everything else. Uh, so like, it's kind of like we, if a, if a biologist is just interested in, you know, describing beetles, that's not as like, as general as like trying to describe how evolution works. And, and the same way, somebody may be honing in on a specific meditation practice. What we're doing instead is like finding what are the principles that give rise to different kinds of states of consciousness. But then the, the third one is really kind of like a, a shanga of serious psychonauts, you could say. That like since 2015, you know, that I've been writing, a, you know, articles like how to secretly communicate with people on LSD or algorithmic reduction of psychedelic states. I've been receiving a lot of correspondence from like a lot of different kinds of people. Some of them are like very crazy. Like I definitely get like correspondence of like, oh, I took DMT and the reptilians are real and they're controlling the world. <laughs> like I definitely get like that type of uh, that type of email. But also I get emails from like, hey, like I'm a PhD uh, physicist uh, from MIT and I do DMT on the weekends. And like, here's like my thoughts. And like, I think your article is correct for these reasons and is wrong for these reasons. So basically, uh, and I connect those people to each other. So basically by now, there's kind of like a pretty solid like community of actually super smart, very systematic people who have like very deep experience in these things. Uh, just to give you like one other um, example here is like we host these things called, uh, I mean, they're private events for obvious reasons, but th this thing called Phenomenology Club, where like basically we invite people with like very deep experience in a particular area. And then we basically interview them collectively and we try to figure out if the models that we're proposing align with their experiences or, or if, if they don't. And uh, so a lot of the content in you know, this article, Healing Trauma with Neural Annealing, is really content that has been tested with people who are, have like very deep experience. And when I say deep experience, I actually mean it. Like in the, in the recent Phenomenology Club where we were interviewing people who've done a lot of 5-MeO DMT, um, we had like three people in that club who all of them had done 5-MeO DMT every day for six months. Like, like Leo Gura did it for like, you know, 25 days and made a video about it. But like, here we are talking with people who've done it every day for six months and they're not crazy. Like they actually like make sense and they can articulate their experience. And anyway, so that's what we call a think tank model that like, Originally, in, in most of science right now, like what is going on is that they do this kind of like third person perspective study. They give psilocybin to like 100 participants. They fill out a questionnaire and that's it. Like they don't even talk to each other. There's no, in the scientists usually are not actually interested in like what they experience. They're just interested in like, oh, will the questionnaire reveal a statistically significant difference relative to control or something like that. And then you have the other approach, which, which is the, uh, kind of individual explorer, kind of like John Lilly or Sasha Shulgin going very deep. But then the, the downside there is that there's no critical feedback, right? Like they just kind of like go into their own world um, and write awesome books, super interesting. But then the output of that tends to look more kind of a, the earth coincidence control office and other, other things like that, as opposed to like, hey, like what are the mathematics of like consciousness? So I would say that, yeah, at QRI, we legitimately are like, a new model for like how to study consciousness. And like, it's really only possible because of kind of a, a critical mass of people who are, you could say like are alive, have like an alive thread on these spaces. Um, so anyway, that's a, a chart I wanted to show you. I'm wondering if you have any reactions to it. Yeah, immediately 
is the reaction of this is what happens when all of the separate spiritual islands and scientific islands, when they all come together into the think tank model, there is way more mountains that can be moved in maximizing collective prosperity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Way more insights, way more uh, distortion patterns being revealed. Um, and it's it's exciting because um, when the uh, the individual shifted more into the think tank model, that um, that's what assimilation, you know, really is, and. Uh, it's uh, it's quite nice. Um, <laughs> we. <laughs> yeah. It's like when I don't know. It's very beautiful. Like uh, when you meet other like I guess like deep practitioners in, and it doesn't have to be psychedelics. Like I mean, we also do this for like for example like perfume. Uh, like we've interviewed people who are like expert perfumers and or like a perfume reviewer and like but it's like very similar as in like these people who have been going very deep into like the subtle gradients of a certain type of consciousness that nobody else like knows that there's like all of these varieties and then it's kind of like you have like this box of like your your collector items of like oh this is all that i've collected over the years but nobody can appreciate it nobody knows what i'm talking about and then you find another collector is like oh my gosh i also have this one i do, i don't have that one that's cool <laughs> exactly that's so perfect and one of the relatable ways to explain this would be remember i was sharing earlier how if you keep your attention on the very source of perception itself. You keep your attention on suchness itself. And then you're very vigilantly watching every spontaneous appearance emergence happening. That if you're really vigilant and really subtle, you can become aware at what density of consciousness words are being spoken at in the field and out of your own mouth and so then when you pass time with mystics that have underwent a more intimate union of deconditioning themselves and from all separation from all ego empty of self pure Tao that their ability to spotlight the patterns of conditioning, even at the highest levels, as they leave out of people's mouths, is unprecedented. And so that's one of the uh, top reasons to also enter into these think tank models is because of that exact profound revelation. And to fearlessly go into the fire. Yeah. Fearlessly. Yeah. Because you will be those distortions will be pointed and 
you'll have one part of you that's your conditioning, which is that that selfish gene, that that desire for uh, for self proliferation, and then you'll have the opposite of that, the truest capital S self that wants you to empty the fuck out of all of that bullshit. <laughs> and fearlessly walk into that fire, my friends. That's uh, that's the entire game is played right there. So, yeah, I mean, not not to this all on all replicators because I mean, in the end, we will actually require a seamless blend between pure consciousness and replication, so that we can carry the torch forward. We could say, <laughs> yeah, it's not that when you're completely empty, you never have sex. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Or, yeah. There, aren't, there aren't these mutually exclusive, you know, no. when, you know, the last in the, in the Zen 10 bulls, the very last one is he's back in the market drinking wine. Nice. Yeah. So you're, you're still an ordinary bra while you're an infinite bra. So <laughs> you still have that, like you're saying that, um, but it's, it's not coming from a place of separation. Like I need to extract sex out of this scenario for me to feel whole, stuff like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm very optimistic. Like, I mean, this is obviously like a, <laughs> not everybody will think the same here, obviously. Um, I suspect you actually will probably find this idea pretty compelling, but it's very controversial, I'd imagine. I don't know. But like, I suspect that actually, um, I mean, essentially, like, this, like, having, like, very reliable, very positive techniques to, like, experience oneness directly um, is not only good for all, for our health and for our well-being and also for, you know, like, acting kindly to others and so on. I think it actually will probably play an even bigger and crazy role, which is it will change the game theoretical landscape. Um, so right now, how a society works is like, I mean, essentially the systems and institutions and so on work under the premise that, you know, people are just beating for their own interests and maybe, you know, the interests of their family, their, their kin and so on. And of course there's interpersonal variability. There's people who, for example, experience like much more desire to help people who are far away, people who experience much more desire to help people who are close by. And I think like that diversity is all, all well and good. But uh, ultimately, um, a lot of kind of like the, the, the systems of, of uh, you know, the status algorithms and so on that exist in the world do kind of like assume that like basically people perceive themselves as separate. And I, I actually suspect that if there's a reliable way of inducing like what we call open individualism experiences, feelings of oneness, um, in a way that is actually measurable and is verifiable, um, it would actually change the landscape a lot because you can make communities of people who, okay, like maybe they don't feel like oneness all the time, but they have access to it. And so even like in like conflict and negotiation and like planning and strategy, they can, in a sense, um, uh, fast forward a lot of the kind of like um, game theoretical impasses that tend to happen simply because you can jump straight to the fact of like, well, but actually we're all one and like, 
you know, we're just hurting ourselves by <laughs> keep, uh, keeping arguing within these premises, uh, <laughs> with these kind of like underlying background assumptions of, of separateness. And the same happens with like, I mean, like this is the, the other side of the coin, which is, I think like oneness will actually truly revolutionize decision theory. Because if you look at like a textbook on decision theory or something like that, they and game theory, they look at, for example, like, well, you're assuming that each agent is trying to maximize the area under the curve of, of the utility of its own life over time, you know, or something like that. Or maybe it has a decay function that's also typical in, in those fields. They might say like, uh, like people are trying to maximize their more immediate well-being, still taking into account the further well-being, but not as much. And um, but that's kind of like assumed into the theory that like, hey, like people are just like rationally selfish and that's it. But actually, if you have people who truly believe in kind of a, a oneness perspective, I think you can shift towards what David Pierce calls a God's eye view decision theory, which is like, how do you maximize the well-being and happiness and love and understanding from the point of view of kind of the God's eye view? And I think that that's just like a completely different paradigm where it's uh you don't have the inbuilt background assumption of uh, individuality and it's not a I mean there is kind of this very loving like beautiful like hippie-ish kind of quality to this idea but actually I think like in math and like in in economics it will actually revolutionize how we think about power dynamics how we think of institutions we're not there yet. And like, there's going to be a lot of things that need to happen before like that actually has any traction. But I, I predict it will actually shape a lot. Um, and uh, like in, you know, a hundred years from now, um, there's going to be very, very, a very crazy contingent uh, of like, it's not just going to be like, you know, political factions bidding for their own interests. It's going to be like, sure, political factions like that, but also somewhat decentralized groups of people who are actually just bidding for the sake of consciousness and they're like developing protocols and developing um methods to prove that actually they are on the side of consciousness that is not just a, a trick or a power graph or, or a power move because that is currently the obvious suspicion right if somebody says like hey i'm, I'm doing work for all of consciousness people say like well you know i'm sure you're just virtual signaling i'm sure that's just uh you're trying to impress us or you you know whatever it may be you're trying to get money from us but if you can prove it's like no actually mathematically the incentive structure i just created actually works out for a heterogeneous mix of people who are just caring about their own well-being and people who are caring about consciousness and it produces so much more value than the previous paradigm yeah i mean societies that adopt that will actually just outcompete every other society um so yeah i mean essentially the the uh i don't know how to describe it but like yeah it's something kind of the the realm of pure consciousness i think is not just a hippie you know dream <laughs> it actually will probably like manifest in terms of changes in game theory and decision making and economics yeah this is a perfect way to slot in the the archetype that is decentralization or universalization because and this goes directly into oneness suchness unity this is that this is that fungal network 
This is mycelium. This is abiogenesis. This is one cell becoming 10 million species. You know, this is that. And, yeah. so, and so when you biomimic the planetary social contracts with decentralization and cryptocurrencies and fractional ownership and all of these great inclusive stakeholding protocols, it's game over because, <laughs> because there's nothing better than that because it, it both, it both empowers the, it's just the collective's absolute highest potential is when that style of protocols in our social contract are present in maximizing abundance and prosperity. So it's a biological archetype. It's a universal archetype. It's what we are. The mm. one that's being embedded into our social contracts is exactly what is also needed in order for the individuals to actually be able to have their basic needs be met, for them to be able to not only artistically express themselves, but also for them to be able to turn inward and understand the nature of consciousness, the nature of reality. And so all of this feedbacks on itself, elevated consciousness gets placed into the planetary architectures, elevated planetary architectures feed right back into elevating consciousness. Mm. I'll, I definitely have something to mention here, which is, uh, I mean, I, I generally agree with that kind of a uh, general direction. I'll point out there's like some interesting subtleties here, which is um, like, for example, like, uh, one may get under the impression that like, hey, like it would be better if everything was fractally organized or something like that. Because if something uh, works at a certain scale and you can create something self-similar at a higher higher scale, they will fit perfectly together or something like that. There's kind of like a lot of heuristics like that. They sometimes work, not always. And there's a good reason why they don't always work, which is that actually uh, the scale of a particular system may influence whether the system is appropriate uh, or not. So there's this uh, whole concept. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like one one super concrete example is like people may think, um, like, well, the the body, the whole point of like the body, the like the organization of the body is to maximize flow. And like it's true that like a lot of like our veins and cardiovascular system and uh, the organization of the of the nervous system and so on, it is kind of like geared towards maximizing interconnectivity like within the limits of like its own geometry and the fact that we live in 3d euclidean space but it's not always maximizing flow or maximizing interconnectivity why because if, if it was doing that <clears throat> at every scale uh, it would also be very vulnerable to for example being uh like infected with like a bacteria or viruses so actually it's a very subtle interplay where what you want is maximum flow at certain scales where resources can be distributed as you know fast and homogeneously as possible but also you want restricted flow at other scales so that things like viruses and bacteria don't propagate very well and i mean i, I definitely think that you know right now we are experiencing a cambrian explosion of like ideologies a cambrian explosion of self-organizing systems of you know patterns of distribution uh kinds of decentralization and so on uh, and i think like how they will play out actually in the complex dynamic system that is the entire world is a very non-trivial thing I, I generally do think that like you know current systems are like overly restrictive and we're in a gridlock unfortunately for very deep reasons that have to do with how 
power uh, is basically yeah uh, ends up being in a, in a gridlock situation. Um, but uh, I would be skeptical that you know just putting everything on the blockchain in a de decentralized way would actually really fix that. Uh, it might actually just create a different kind of a uh, of system um, that has like similar problems. So instead, actually, the the thing I tend to uh, think is the most promising is in a sense, not putting the cart before the horse. So like not committing to any particular mode of self-organization. Instead, I think I'm very much in favor of kind of this, um, the seasteading aesthetic, you know, this idea of like, hey, let's actually create completely new societies that are not under the, you know, the rule of any current empire <laughs> or any current country, um, such that we can actually from the bottom up try completely new you know, systems of, of organization with the new technologies, right? This is not like, it's not about like, let's try feudalism versus monarchy or whatever it may be. We're way past that, right? Like it would actually be, oh, let's try this combination of, you know, quadratic voting together with blockchain in this particular way, together with, um, you know, new kinds of social relationships and new drugs <laughs> and new neurotherapies and see what happens, right? Before we roll it out into the rest of society, we should first try it out in a contained society. If it works really well, then we try it in something that is like twice the size and we keep kind of like doubling until it breaks. And when it breaks, we learn the lessons of like, okay, why doesn't this like scale higher? But I think, yeah, kind of like these like very cautious, but also very imaginative and very open approach. Um, I guess like the, the, the last thing I'll add here is that I, I do have like, I do think like the locus of control of uh, the individual should always be there for two things. One is no society should be mandatory. Like to be in one of these like exploratory societies, it should be an opt-in. Like it's not like currently, like if there's a revolution in your country, you know, they're not gonna allow you to leave, right? Like it's, you just have to be in that country and it sucks. <laughs> uh, you may not like the new regime or, or the previous one, but like you don't have a choice. In the sort of like seasteading aesthetic, you always have the choice. It's up to you whether you want to go to a, a given society. And the second one is um, you can always choose to pack your pack your bags and leave. I think like that's the other inalienable right for the individual, from my perspective. Like people should always be free to leave whatever society they're they're in. And I think like with that, yeah, like the societies are actually better for the individuals um, and are good at self-sustaining um, will basically, yeah, be the ones that can like survive better as, a, as communities. Um, and uh, and I do suspect, you know, the, the full thing, the thing that will actually evolve will probably be something that merges kind of like in a very seamless blend, complete decentralized systems together with some kinds of hierarchies and overlapping hierarchies together with some like anarchic style organizations. And it's gonna be something that defies current description. Like it's not gonna be something you can say, oh, that's capitalism or it's like, no, it's a new, completely new thing. Like those previous categories were kind of when we were children as humans, just trying to make sense of social organisms. But actually there's, Cambrian explosion, right? Like, I guess, like, what I'm trying to communicate is like when people say, like, "Hey, are you a socialist or a capitalist or something?" I hear it as like, "Do you like dogs or cats?" Not realizing, like, "Oh my, my gosh, there's like dolphins too, and there's elephants and chimpanzees. <laughs> there's just so many other possibilities." Yeah. 
it will always be a synthesis. It will always be simultaneity. That is what the oneness, the suchness, equanimity is. It is the synthesis. It's the simultaneity. So mm. it will always, right now, what's calling more than anything is the decentralization and the universalization and the social contract to be more around fractional ownership and inclusive stakeholding. But there will definitely also be a bunch of dolphins and anteaters and porcupines and things that are unimaginable. And it's and it's awesome. Uh, okay, I feel like a good place for me to ask um, this question, which relates to what we were talking about earlier. And it tries to boil it down into even simpler terms, which is that do you feel like light is the fundamental mediator between emptiness and form? I think for, I mean, like, yeah, for a big portion of it, but actually I don't think for everything. Um, so yeah. What, what else is there? Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, I actually, I forget the name, but like they're called like carrier particles in physics. Like, um, I mean, basically you have light, but that's like, quantum electrodynamics. So that's going to be like how electrons and protons and basically the like anything having to do with electromagnetism, how that and that, yes, for sure is going to be like when you look at like uh, the Feynman diagrams of like two electrons moving uh, over time, the thing that makes them either go closer together or separate is whether they exchange electrons or not like that. Sorry, they, the, whether they like, uh, exchange photons, which is, yeah, light. So light, light as particles will be the carrier of like energy and interaction between those particles. But uh, it's not all because there's also like in the strong force, I mean, I forget the, the term, I don't think it's muons, but like basically there's like strong force carriers and like they're different. They're, they're completely different particles. Um, so, I mean, maybe the most common one, I'll, I'll say something like that, like generally it's light, but there's, there's other more crazy ones as well. So, what else is going on between emptiness and form besides light? So quantum electrodynamics, everything that's happening is light, electromagnetic flux. What are what is the other one? What are the other let me let me find it real quick. Yeah, and let me know um... let me know what to type. Uh, the uh, gluon. <laughs> oh, you're talking. Oh, you're talking about the categories of bosons and fermions, and gluons is inside of those categories. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's. I mean, I, I do. I do take it seriously. I mean, like, um, we are at QRI, We are what we call strong monists. Like, basically, we take the idea that, like, you know, spirit and and consciousness and physics, they're all sides of the same coin. And they're like absolutely everything that you find in physics from like, you know, superfluid helium to like plasma waves to all of these other crazy things. They all have a corresponding flavor of consciousness. And in a sense, I, I mean, I, I think like when you experience something like 5-MeO DMT um, rele full release experience, one interpretation is that what you're experiencing there is the fully calmed electromagnetic field that has like no dissonance. And like that is, yeah, it feels yeah, it's this uni it feels like a universal unified field. Um, 
but it may actually just be the electromagnetic fields, but there's other fields as well. And like in our normal everyday life, basically they are, they're all interacting with one another. And there, there's so many different flavors of consciousness as a result. And like for the electromagnetic component of consciousness, light would be the interplay between form and emptiness. But for other aspects, uh, other flavors of consciousness, it would be the glue one, or it like, might be something else. Like like what? Like uh, the like what? And what would the glue on? Because um, I'm I'm looking at uh, these two fundamental categories of subatomic particles. Yeah, bosons and fermions. What besides light is happening as the fundamental mediator between form I, and emptiness? I think it would be all the bosons in the extreme left. So photons, gluons, W boson, Higgs. I guess Higgs would be for, for mass. I mean, th this is definitely, I mean, I'm, I haven't studied this academically, so I'm not, I'm not a reliable source here, but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it would be so, something like the, the carrier particles would be the thing that is so, in this very speculative explanation space would be that. Yeah. So, so the, the core question is something like what besides light quantum electrodynamics is happening? Yeah. I mean, it, it could be like, um, I mean, there's one speculation, which is that like actually a lot of the qualia that we experience has to do with the other fields of physics rather than electromagnetic electromagnetism and that electromagnetism is more what gives rise to binding what allows the different qualia varieties to come together into a unified experience in which case you know actually when you experience a particular uh smell as an example like smell qualia could be what it is like for gluons <laughs> to interact with one another or for delocalized gluons to coexist um, again, extreme, extremely speculative. So I'm, I'm not putting a lot of stock in here. I'm just giving you a, <laughs> a crazy answer to a crazy question. But, uh, um, I, I, I do think though that, yeah, like a binding, like how, um, the pieces of information in your experience are put together. I think that is actually patterns in the electromagnetic field. Like, obviously this is very controversial in neuroscience, but I have a lot of Good reasons to believe this and uh one researcher i would point at for people uh, sir yeah it's a uh, uh, susan pocket susan pocket wrote a, a book about uh electromagnetic field theories of consciousness and I, I i thought it was very compelling i mean i'm happy to describe some of the arguments but but basically what i arrive at is that 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 research shows that it's very likely that actually binding is implemented with electromagnetism but then there's the additional question of but what are the individual qualia varieties like the feeling of smell or tactile sensations and that might be a different fields it's just that they're bound i mean it's kind of like the electromagnetic it's kind of like magnetism is kind of the the magnets that i'm putting them together <laughs> through this unified experience but then you need to explain the building blocks and the building blocks might be from the other fields So you hypothesize there is other building blocks. Yeah. So qualia is not only patterns of 
electromagnetism? I don't think so. But it is the main one. I mean, it's the main way to affect consciousness uh, at the human form. Okay. But, uh, so what, what underlies even all light and whatever else is still energy? Yes. So it's still, <laughs> still energy modulating. Yeah, and changing form. So, because you can transform the energy of a photon into a gluon or into an electron, like they're interchangeable if you do the right set of transformations. And uh, like the lens here that I think is actually quite literally something like a weird Rubik's cube where like electrons would be kind of like twisting it in a certain way and then gluons would be twisting it a different way but I mean, in the end, it's still twisting. You're still twisting this object, and that would be energy. But then the type of twisting, it actually like matters a lot for like what happens. Right? Like, there's some puzzles that you cannot solve unless you have all the moves available. And likewise, if you only have like light, you, there's a lot of transformations you you just can't do. You need to transform that light into other forms of energy so that you can then work that energy over there. Cool. You just use the word work. So it's energy doing work. Yeah. Yeah. Work uh, is literally energy uh, times distance, right? <laughs> yeah. The transference of energy and also the potential, the ability to do work. Yeah. So. So also vibration, the very old, the very nature of that singularity endlessly expressing itself as pure potential, infinitely, boundlessly, forever. Energy being that. Mm -hmm vibration Om. you'll never come to the end of all the different ways that you can put notes into a song <laughs> never come to the end of all the different ways you can put together images into a movie you'll never come to the end of different ways to paint a blank canvas and there is a i mean a, romantically i agree in a very abstract you know, argument, I would say there probably is a limit to how big an experience can be. And that limit is probably uh, having to do with some, <laughs> the nature of, of uh, physics. So, uh, and, and it's a completely open question. Is, right? like, the, is the, the experience of the metaverse not entertain you, Andres? <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that not boundless enough to entertain you? Oh, it totally is. Totally is. It's, it's more than enough. More than enough for sure. So how can <laughs> but, uh, you put a limit on that experience of a metaverse, bro? Yeah, well, because I think there's a, a finite set of possible experiences. Like, the, I, I know it sounds crazy, but essentially, I mean, the argument is not that hard. It's basically, if the amount of consciousness 
that you experience is actually has to do with bound energy. Then the question is like, what is the largest possible amount of bound energy that the, that can be sustained anywhere in the multiverse if you want? And I think the answer is not going to be infinite um, because you know if something actually is infinite, parts within it, you, light will take an infinite amount of time to to reach. And so, like in some sense, it's actually not a unified thing. But, but, it's, it, but it's entangled, so it's not actually traveling. I, even even with entanglement, um, it's it, it gets tricky. But uh, basically, even with quantumly entangled systems um, or quantum coherence systems, the speed of light still matters a lot. Um, like you can see this in superfluid helium. Like if you cool down helium all the way to like less than like one degree Kelvin, uh, it becomes like this quantum liquid that is like all one, like literally it is not made of particles anymore. It's literally just one wave. And it's super crazy that that happens, but you know, <laughs> you can do it in a lab. And even though it's like all, not even entangled, it's like literally coherent, quantum coherent, um, the waves of energy still take time to propagate. So uh, just the fact that you have something coherent or entangled is not guarantee of, in a sense, kind of this necessary unity that I'm talking about. And then like, I don't think, for example, you can make an infinitely large pool of superfluid helium you'll be constrained by like, okay, how many planets can we put together? How large can be the lab where we do this? And then like extrapolate to, for example, how do you create the largest brain? So I don't know if the largest brain is going to be the size of a house or the size of Jupiter, but chances or, are that- Or the metaverse itself. Or the metaverse itself, yeah. Maybe, of course, like, you know, if we break some further assumptions of like, yeah. There's no end. Uh... <laughs> come to the end well so what i just presented is like the argument for why there is a largest experience and then the argument for okay so that's one part the second one is that experiences are not infinitely different from one another that like if you take my experience right now and your experience right now there is a finite set of what we call just noticeable difference differences that if i were to change my experiences slightly in one way or another, I can do a finite set of transformations that take me from where I'm at to like the experience you are having. Uh, you can call that the edit distance for two particular experiences. And then um, essentially- I love it, your lexicon. <laughs> okay, dude. I, I actually think of this a lot of kind of like, um, in the future we will have hopefully a, an experience Photoshop. This kind of, you can like create an experience like you would create a picture, but like it also contains tactile sensations, you know, smell, thoughts, philosophy. Um, I my computer charger real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, for the for the audience, I mean, or if you're listening to, so basically, uh, experiences cannot be uh, infinitely different because there's always like a finite edit distance between them, and also they cannot be infinitely close. Essentially, they collapse into one another, and that is because if they are less different than a just noticeable difference from the inside they're undistinguishable so so in that sense that actually gives you a, a hard limit to basically whether two two experiences are the same or not because if they're subjectively indistinguishable you can just call them the same experience and this argument shows that basically you can take the entire space of consciousness 
and discretize it. And it will actually be able to name with a number but each are, possible experience. But no bounds. Where you'll never come to the end of possibilities. Well, you, 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 the, my suspicion is that they are, they're all already there. <laughs> what for this already be everything, basically? It's already the pure potential of nothing being everything. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the universal wave function is the superposition of all possibilities. And it's it just is. Which I mean, is the same thing. The universal wave function is the same thing the mystics call Tao, Brahman, God, etc. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I look forward to when the um, lexicon is finally popularized in a synthesis and yes. two, and then just abundance and prosperity. This <laughs> and there'll be continued parallax in mimetic discourse, but it will not be about um, as petty ego as what it is uh, today. It will, <laughs> it will be about uh, cool things like which um, which flavor of consciousness uh, to explore next. Yes. Type stuff, yeah. We we do have a, a bit of a head start with the QRI glossary. Maybe you can share a link or, or at least the name of it. Yeah. It's easy to uh, to find. Um, Is that online too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. It's in our, our main website, the QRI glossary. And it's, uh, uh, I mean, it's not completely up to date, but it's pretty up to date. Like, I, it, I would still read it. Like, for a lot of people, actually, like, probably starting like their journey of like trying to understand what Qualia Research Institute is all about. I know like it's not easy because you start reading one article and like it, it links to other articles and they're all kind of mutually codependent, but it's, you know, codependent arising, you know, it's, <laughs> you can't avoid that to some extent. Um, but uh, the glossary might be actually a really good place to start because all of the terms that you will see in other articles are, or most of them are like defined in here, like, including the the ones I was just uh, talking about, like the state space of consciousness and um, just noticeable differences and, and things like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, in the end, I, I do think maybe the, to, to leave you with is uh, going to be that, I mean, I think like cataloging the state space of consciousness is awesome, but also I'm super excited, a more narrow task, which is um, cataloging flavors of awakening and uh, this is, yeah, basically something Mike Johnson is quite uh, interested in at the moment, which is like, if you look at like three, let's say three kinds of like Buddhism, like Theravada, Mahayana and uh, and Vajrayana, like like they all ultimately have kind of like a ability to reduce suffering significantly and cause interesting experiences. Um, but uh, um, basically you can say that maybe the Theravada ideal is kind of like these people who are extremely peaceful they're ex that's kind of the flavor of that awakening whereas maybe the the flavor of mahayana is like extremely loving you know wanting loving kindness for everybody that's like the flavor of their awakening and then vajrayana is maybe they're energized they're like very alive and like that is the flavor of that awakening i mean in the end like they're all great and uh whichever suits your needs better might be the one you should aim to but uh 
I suspect there's many more flavors, many more flavors of awakening to be discovered. I love that. The, along with the cataloging flavors of awakening, what we can do with what we're building with the No Limit Society and Igniting Global Awakening is we can potentially have these different um, Satori moments uh, that can be shared with QRI in their process. Uh -oh, must have been a battery. Love you guys. It's beautiful reality. Beautiful oneness. An indescribable perfection every moment. Tick perfection. Heartbeat, perfection, blink of eye, perfection. No matter what's no matter what's happening, just pure perfection. Oh, hello. <laughs> Sorry, my the battery ran out of the other computer. I'm glad that you got back on. Had a little, uh, had a little monologue about perfection that everything is. It was, it was quite, it's quite beautiful. It's playful. Hopefully, kept uh, kept the viewers happy and engaged. And Andres, what I was saying was that it would be nice with everything we're doing with No Limit Society and igniting global awakening and capturing Satori to also collaborate with Mike and cataloging flavors of awakening with QRI. And I would love, I would love to explore doing that together because obviously I've, I've shifted a lot. Like this has become more and more of my natural state and it's, it's very peaceful and it's very one and it's very eternity or perfection that's looking. And it's very becoming more and more empty of self and more and more in pure service. Everything that I've been really excited about architecting is just naturally spontaneously unfolding into that those planetary infrastructures. And so it's it's a different flavor than like you were describing. There are I've I've uh, I've seen a lot of uh, as has been said in Zen, there's a lot of drunk on emptiness. And, yeah, and there's there's also a lot of uh, avoiding void as well. Mm -hmm. So um, those that those that are uh, awake presence yet not depleted of conditioning. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of flavors here to um, catalog and explore, and uh, and so it'll be it'll be exciting to see how that unfolds together as well that's a cool one i like that it's a good play and we have uh, we have plenty of people we have over 100 people in the in society so it'd be cool to be able to to collaborate and explore that so one of the things that i would like to um wrap with here is um 
for you is the density of consciousness is the um, the difference between the let's just call it light in uh, in electromagnetic flux or the quantum electrodynamics um, is the difference in density um, and I know you were mentioning that not every single always is this always coherent and harmonic and this is always dissonant mm -hmm. at that point yep um, but would you say that the that the density, um, what exactly is happening in the quantum electrodynamical flux of light yeah. across the densities that then signal said solar plexus chakra versus said crown chakra? Yeah, uh, this is uh, where actually the the picture I, I never was able to show you, but I, from the same healing trauma from neural of neural healing, healing trauma of neural healing has that uh, that picture. Um, well, you'll find it, find it a little bit below, uh, but basically it's um, uh, a map of the state space of consciousness with two axes, uh, which is like energy and then information content. Uh, further below, uh, further, like it's significantly further below. That uh, the one above, so that yeah. If you zoom in on that, um, basically uh, the y-axis is essentially the energy level, whereas the x-axis is information content. And uh, basically, if you take DMT, like what will happen is that you will go to greater energy levels and like that's kind of unavoidable it's like a matter of dose i mean of course if you're not a non-responder that might not happen but i mean roughly speaking energy levels are organized in these kind of like five or six categories which is like from threshold to chrysanthemum and chrysanthemum basically you you're still two-dimensional um uh two-dimensional energy flux whereas like in magic eye level actually you get like this complex three-dimensional hallucinations and three-dimensional embodied feelings waiting room it actually becomes hyperbolic uh hyperbolic 3d space or higher dimensional and in breakthrough um it's always hyperbolic space and it's almost always higher dimensional um and it's like open it, there's like this other quality of like openness to it um so it's not contained uh waiting room is like contained and uh, that's similar to like the difference between like being a sphere versus a tor being a torus, so that that type of transformation. Um, uh, but then like that's not all the information you need because also basically what is the density of the content of the information matters a lot because you could be in a very energized state where, for example, you're in kind of this very crazy spaceship with machine elves and a lot of complex machinery and very irreducibly complex objects are happening. Um, that would be kind of like in the middle, kind of like this like high energy, but also high information content. Whereas um, to actually have like a perfectly clean experience of the unconditioned or the pure consciousness, you have to be all the way up and all the way to the left. So that's like high energy, but close to zero information content, where basically things are experienced as kind of like this infinitely reflecting mirror room type universes oftentimes of hyperbolic geometry 
Um, the reason is that energy also curves uh, phenomenal space. Uh, some, I mean, again, I, I'm not saying this because I want to believe it or because I, I came up, you know, I just came up with it one afternoon, like, you know, the armchair philosopher. This is the result of like the think tank process of like, like, no, like talking to super smart people doing this very seriously. Um, and yeah, like basically there is this thing in physics called the Hamiltonian of a system, which is like, what are the equations that describe each energy level of a given system? And essentially like for a given energy level, you can still arrange that energy in many different ways. Like for example, um, what you will often see is that for a, let's say a magic eye level or a waiting room level, all the energy could actually be concentrated in the form of color qualia. So like it's the brightest possible blue or the brightest pink possible imaginable or like it's beyond imaginable, but like extremely bright color. So bright that actually it has kind of a physicality of its own. We call it a hyper blue or hyper pink, the hyper versions of, of the colors. But then that energy can also shift towards, for example, a feeling of embodied energy waves and that can, that can shift towards the thought forms or emotions. In, in general, the typical experience is going to be a kind of a balance of energies in each of the sensory modalities and each of the inner modalities. But you can concentrate the energy in one form or another. And basically, um, what, what you will find is that for a given energy level, there's still a huge number of possible configurations. So like, just as like, there's so much poetry about like all the beauty of being a normal human being, likewise, there is going to be a huge amount of poetry about waiting room DMT level, <laughs> because there's like waiting room DMT level that is flavored in a certain way. And then there's completely different flavors. And there, I suspect there's actually even more flavors of DMT waiting room experiences than there are flavors of you know normal human experiences. Um, and yeah, I, I actually think this is actually like a physical energy, which ultimately will be the same as like energized consciousness. And each of the discrete energy bands are actually phase transitions, um, not so different than, for example, ice going to liquid, going into vapor, except that we're talking about electromagnetic uh, flux tubes and what happens when you energize those. And like at first, you know, things just become a little bit brighter. If you energize it more, you know, then you have kind of this phase transition where like things rather than just attention moving in kind of like field lines, it can even move in kind of like um, uh, the whole planes. Like this is one of the crazy things that happen in high energy consciousness. That like, it's not so much that you focus on things one at a time anymore. It's more like you're sending pads of awareness and attention everywhere. So that's a, a phase transition in like the very nature of attention. And it gets crazier <laughs> the, the higher you go in the energy uh, parameter. Uh, and like knotted consciousness as well. Like there's a lot of those, like a lot of the, you know, machine health, high information content, high energy are like patterns of like knotted consciousness with their own exotic acoustics. And again, completely exotic, exotic. We don't have really words for them, but they're, they're, they're real, <laughs> they exist. They're possible configurations of, of consciousness. Um, I'm thinking like what would be the, the best metaphor is something like, it's kind of like so, mod, yes. mod and gelatin. Uh, if you vibrate, like imagine you have like a, a bucket of mud and gelatin, and if you vibrate it enough, they start to kind of like blend into each other and they, they form waves and they, they change the way in which energy propagates. I think it's similar like that. Like 
yes, these like configuration of electromagnetic binding patterns, if you energize it, you will get these phase transitions. Again, it's not the same as from liquid to, 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 to gas, but it's of that type, except that in the electromagnetic domain. And like that's, yeah, we don't really have words for those different phases yet. So the... So the the high energy. Um, so would it be would it be fair to say that low low energy is like form? Low energy is it's going to be more solidified for sure. Okay, so uh, give me one one second. Yeah, of course. You can take a cool. we're, 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 yeah, we're, we'll we'll wrap soon. Yeah, yeah, because of the laptop situation. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, again, communicate our love to. Will do. Will do. Gratitude. We're very grateful to be able to use the um, computer. Tools. So. So low energy is more solid, like form. In general, in general. Higher energy as we go up here towards this breakthrough, that that is uh, like air. More like air, yeah. More like air and more like air dancing. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, air currents. Air currents and interpenetrating themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and even higher, it becomes plasma. So it, it doesn't end in the we're we're a gas. It becomes plasma afterwards. Cool. And then and then and then. So when it's low information content, it's. like coherence and then high information content is what what yeah what's the difference uh so it depends on just basically i mean what, it's very related to how symmetrical what, like what does a state of consciousness that's um like pure you know, pure noise i'm i don't even know have i felt something that's like your noise before you you may have uh i mean the classic example is actually listening to white noise and that actually has like hedonic effects it it, it, it very high nose noise works as a dampening it has a dampening effect so basically if you are feeling very stressed out actually listening to white noise can be soothing because it's gonna override the patterns of dissonance oh but if it yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like why you know, like waves crashing in the ocean can be so therapeutic if you're very stressed out. It's just um, um, are waves considered pure noise? The sound that waves make is a certain type of noise that's called stochastic fractal noise, but it's it is very approximates white noise. Okay, okay. So then, then there's uh, <clears throat> there's the pure noise. And then yeah. there's what's uh, what's low information content. So any anything where 
nothing is like sticking out. There's nothing, if something is salient, it's going to be like, let's say a central point uh, in your experience. Very little information, like so, very coherent experiences. So, so equanimous, even, evenness. Yeah. Evenness. So, so, but then isn't, uh, uh, is pure noise not also, it's not even, that's the opposite of even. It, it is the opposite, except that there's also nothing salient because there's nothing that sticks out. Everything is so, so diluted by this uh total total noise that there's no nothing salient and uh in that sense uh it's very similar um but they are complete opposites when it comes to the hedonic effects that basically the lowest information content for a given energy range will be the most pleasant variety for that energy uh whereas total noise is actually perfectly neutral so then what you may ask is like, well, where, then where is the suffering? And suffering is actually somewhere in the middle, but it's actually more, the most, the worst suffering is generally like, kind of like close to zero information. Like, so like the, the complete left column, that would be perfect bliss. But then one step off to the right, kind of like around there, exactly. Like that's where like a huge potential for dissonance exists because that's kind of like a, an uncanny valley where different types of symmetry can both coexist and they may be interfering with one another. So it's, a, it's much better, for example, to listen to uh, an orchestra and white noise at the same time than listening to an orchestra and a different orchestra playing a completely different song that they're like not in tune with one another. Because, I mean, that one is more ordered, there, there's less, you know, there's less noise, but there's more dissonance because they're going to be clashing uh, with each other. So, in a sense, two different like patterns of conditioning emerging is like two different orchestras playing different music, and yeah. that creates so much dissonance. And, yep. And, okay, beautiful. <laughs> and wow. And then I love that. So, Andres, and then. Um, would we say that then when there's a when there's a so again a a very a high uh energetic and a low information content so there's a air plasma like interpenetration mm -hmm. and that there's an evenness yeah no specific thing is sticking out yeah this is the fabric or the substratum yeah substrate itself. Yeah. Yeah. And then would that also be with this corner, this top left corner, would this also be somewhat analogous to what was called like uh Indra's net? Yeah. It's gonna be very related. Uh 
I would say Indra's net experiences are also just slightly to the right because they, they do have a fractal structure. And in that sense, they do have a little bit of information, but it's very little. So most Indra's net experiences, which again, like they're real, they're a valid state of consciousness. You can experience in meditation or psychedelics around there. They just have a little bit of information and so it's actually, they're fine. They tend to be very pleasant and euphoric and insightful and beautiful. Um, but they're not the perfect zero information state because that one doesn't even have fractal structure. Like that's the, the, the crazy thing. Like, I mean, that's like one of the beautiful thing about, about like many mathematical fractals that like you see all these apparent complexity, but actually the whole thing can be created with a tiny program or like a tiny equation. So it's like all these apparent complexity is actually just very little information. And, and the same with uh, Indra's net, this, like these you know, spheres endlessly repeating the, the reflections of the spheres within the spheres and so on. Yeah, that has very little information, but it still has some information. And I would say that, for example, Indra's net type experiences are more common on like DMT than on 5-MeO DMT, because on 5-MeO DMT, you're actually just much more likely to go to the pure zero information state. That's the, the, the attractor, the natural attractor of it. And that one doesn't have a fractal structure. <laughs> it's just pure, pure void. So the the sole differentiator between people having experiences of oneness that include the Indra's net slash um Mandelbrot Benoit Mandelbrot style fractals yeah. is that there, is that there is still some sort of a small fractal like structure or pattern or something that is versus when you go all the way over here this is where there's no fractal like there's no repeating pattern there's nothing to fixate on there's just a an absolute evenness that is uh yeah that's okay so now my follow-up question to that is would an example of this corner here would it also be um examples like like these or yeah. is this yeah 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 the one on the left bottom left like yeah this that thing. picture yeah this Yeah, that, that would be a classic interest net experience. So what's what is um, what is like this, uh, but for your top left corner? I mean, it could be. I mean, like it it it, it is literally can be like your experience has like fragmented into components, where each of those components have a perfect copy of the content of the entirety of the experience. So you will have this recursive fractal structure. It doesn't go infinitely down because there's like a finite resolution to consciousness or at least our type of consciousness, but it can go pretty deep, like maybe seven levels or something like that, which is actually really stunning if you experience it. It's like, oh, I didn't know fractals could be this detailed and it's gonna be much more detailed than the fractals that you see in a sober state for sure. Um, uh, but, but there's like many configurations. I mean, this is like visual, audio, audio tactile, and their interrelationships. There's many, isn't, there's not one interest net. 
just as there's not one fractal, right? There's many possible intranet experiences. And almost all of them, they're very blissful and beautiful. Not all of them, because some of them may actually be, you know, like fractal noise or fractal dissonance, which is uh, unstable. And that's why they're not like attractors. Usually these experiences, when they're like fractal, they tend to be very loving and beautiful because that's the type of energy that actually makes it stable and is like stabilizing. Um, so typically when somebody says they had like a indra's net experience, they're going to yeah, be describing a beautiful experience. Not always, but that's the typical. So what would a visualization, if we were to explain that this is more like the, the natural state of suchness yeah. that Buddha's talking about, if we were to um, have uh, select other visuals for audience, which if, yeah, which other ones, or what would we look up to? I would say the like a, a combed combed torus. So maybe if you search like Harry Ball theorem and torus combed okay. torus, maybe yeah, there you go. Like the the one on the top left, I guess. Yeah, that would be kind of like the unconditioned. Like, there's just no information there because, like, there's there's no structure to it. Like, the the, the lines are all perfectly combed. So, if you take five meo DMT, you arrive at the unconditioned state. It's like, yeah, that's kind of the electromagnetic field with no features. It's just pure void, and it's very blissful. It's completely peaceful. There's no problem in there. So when you say that there's this EM field with no features because everything, pure void, every, everything is this in the Harry Ball theorem, it's because everything is just in its perfect uh, alignment. Alignment, yep. perf in perfect aligned flux. Yeah. And that's the beauty that like, you don't do this by doing surgery. You don't do this by individually going to every point and like putting the vector in that direction. <laughs> what you do is you heat up the whole structure and then let it cool. So you basically do the annealing process. And well, it's exactly how you... Yeah, I remember Exactly, that, that's one of, okay. it's one of the beautiful things about what does it mean for a, a conscious entity to heat themselves up? So that it means to, to take their density from lower to higher yes. in, a, in a heating up process. And then as there is a creation of potentially more um, coherence, is that right? Alignment yeah. um, with all of that, then there's a following process of sort of cooling to, to take that to lock in said more yes. natural state. Exactly. On the lower density level, things are more flexible. So you can do a lot of search, what we call neural search over there, and find solutions that then as you cool down, they stick with you and uh, you, you'll be better aligned. And this is both at the level of beliefs and attitudes, but also at the micro level. They're like, even like certain, certain kinds of like chronic pain or like, uh, energy blockages in your body that also can go away through this process. And I mean, to me, it's very beautiful that like 
again, like you don't do this by surgically trying to fix everything. You do this by instantiating a process that gives rise to a new kind of self-organization. So it's like the paradoxical thing that if you want to get something more ordered, you first disordered more and then you cool it down. So uh, because yeah. otherwise it's computationally intractable. So, and in general, I think that's uh, how we think of uh, future technologies at QRI is a lot less of like, oh, how do we like fix this particular part of the nervous system is more, how do we kickstart a holistic process that has self-healing properties? Yeah, cool. So, so how does when the consciousness is heating up in the annealing process, um, how does how does there a creation of a a more entropic or disordered state but yet there is still the alignment or the coherence like how is the hairy ball both perfect alignment but also entropic in a in a process uh that might be the thing where you're simultaneously instantiating a unified field while keeping the information of the other fields as well. And I, I mean, again, like that, that will happen at some energy levels. I think if you raise the energy far enough, it just can't happen. I think like it will just basically just collapse into the, uh, basically the pure, you know, pure consciousness type of realms. Um, but if you can keep it, I mean, it's kind of like this whole idea of like, like you need the balance of forces. Like it's again, like kind of like you need to find exactly the place where kind of the pure consciousness and the form can simultaneously coexist. And it's going to be a corner pace, corner, like it, you need to balance a lot of forces and keep the balance there, or it's going to yeah. deviate to something else. Yeah. So it's a, a Goldilocks zone. It's very much a Goldilocks zone. The Goldilocks zone. Yeah. Cool. That makes sense. The more that reality becomes formless, it simultaneously is formed. And it's sort of like you, this lower chakric um, formness is where the start is. And then there's this um, higher density formlessness. And then the uh, form is empty, empty is form kicks in because the emptiness that is the formlessness kicks in as you as you sort of reach said higher there's there the differentiation ceases um and that the simultaneity is experienced the simultaneity is experienced and the differentiation between emptiness and form or formlessness and form um no longer is pronounced what was pronounced is no longer as pronounced. Um, so would, would you then say that this, um, the Harry Ball theorem is as uh, close to um, expressing what is in this uh, high energy, low information content corner? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, that, that would be the, the calm to Taurus. What do we look up like the, to? Show? I looked up comb Oh, the left. Uh, they're both. They're both. Uh, so, the donut there would be the combed torus, and the hairy this ball. One? 
would this be the one? other one. Oh no, the this one? the one this you the one you have selected already. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. and then which other one are you talking about? So, and then the sphere that is right next to it on top. Oh, oh, this one. Yeah, that one is the one where there's an ego because the the structure is such that you cannot comb it. Whereas the torus, you can actually comb it, and so you can actually get no sticking point at all. Okay, wait a second. So in this one, which is the the torus, yes, in the torus you can comb it. Yes, and and in this one um, where there's a center, is that the idea? Is that there's a center, right? There, yeah. Whereas in this one in the torus, there's no center, right? Yeah. Okay, so in the torus. There's no center, meaning it's empty of self. Yeah. Meaning, meaning that it is the field. Yeah. Itself. We and can say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like and then, okay. And then meaning that in this one, there's a real big solidity in the center. Yeah. And, and then why can't it can't be combed because of the solidity in the center? Uh, there, there's a proof, and it's a little bit complicated, but uh, it has to do with <laughs> Euler's number. But, but the... Simplify it as much as you can. Or I mean, oh my goodness. give us no, just give us the essence of what. Why can't the contracted egoic self with the center? Why can't that be combed? And what do we mean by combed? Yeah, yeah. So combed meaning alignment, right? Like, I mean, this is this is very interesting. Like, if you pay attention to how um, your attention moves around from second to second. Um, for most people, in most circumstances, it's going to be your attention is kind of like there's several operations. Like one is like scanning for salient objects. You fixate your attention briefly there. If there's nothing more salient, it kind of exhausts the saliency, and then you that information you take it into the self. Basically, there's kind of this back and forth between paying attention to the things around you, and then like evaluating the relevance for yourself. And there's this back and forth, and that, that back and forth creates this viscosity or this kind of a center of mass that is not ideal. I mean, basically it is a, a kind of like energy sink or blockage. And it's also resting on an illusion fundamentally, like this idea of an enduring metaphysical self is kind of part of what feeds or fuels that kind of dynamic. And uh, instead if you do a lot of meditation and you remove or at least like lessen or um, liquefy at the very least that sense of self, the attention patterns are going to, in a sense, not be coagulating or like always coming coming back to the center. And instead, the information is going to be available throughout the experience. It's, it's just a different way of like organizing information. And um, and in that sense, you know, you, you, you can say that like, yeah, I mean, like, given the structure of most people's experiences, because they have kind of the center of mass, things are more likely to be brittle or dissonant or waves of energy have like more blockages because there's that center of mass doesn't transmit energy very well. Whereas in kind of the fully, I guess, decentralized combed state, uh, there's no center of mass and the energy information is more kind of in some sense, like holographically distributed throughout the, the entire experience. And there's nothing in that experience that you assign as like, oh, this is me fundamentally. Like everything is just, you know, a, an appearance of a of, of, of form. Um, and, uh, and when I say comp, I actually mean it quite literally in like how your attention is spreading in your experience. That like a fully combed experience is one where, for example, attention moves in 
kind of a homogeneous wave and you're kind of scanning your experience without any blockage or anything, any resistance. And in that sense, that'll be kind of the torus. It's kind of like there's waves of attention just moving through, but they're not causing pinch points. They're not mm. self-overlapping or self-intersecting. Whereas... Okay, cool. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, whereas with a sense of self, your attention kind of like goes one place and then bounces back, goes one place and bounces back. Yes. And that quality causes a certain kind of dissonance. And as long as you're shaped like that, it doesn't matter if you rearrange the things in your life or the world, you're still going to be processing the world through that shape. And that shape will, has an inherent kind of dissonance associated to it. And in that sense, it's less than ideal. Okay. Okay, so then... Um... I love how I love how at the two hour mark we are getting into like like one of the like <laughs> coolest parts of the like do you feel resonant with that like do you feel like this is one of the coolest parts of the convo so far yeah yeah definitely definitely that's, that's interesting so um, uh, do you do you feel like uh, we can have a, a window of a little bit more time to run through this uh, of what's coming arising yeah. right now to play and explore yeah, yeah. I, I should go at seven but yes uh, we can go a little bit longer okay okay cool thanks for that heads up great um and thanks for uh the whole show together it's been <laughs> definitely it's been so good we finally re reconvened our energies for play after um, a, a nice a nice gap of exploring um, what was in our excitement space and now there's so many new fresh takes with us both harmonizing on this mm -hmm. and, uh, and i also after having dan ingram on the eprc i heard that you guys are a part of that which is so yeah. awesome and um and it's it's really great to um to see what's been unfolding for you guys and to just hear how much more precise um, you are. And, um, and, and it could be cool for us to maybe something like twice a year, like every six something, like do a session with mm. URI just to, um, to further explore what is being synthesized in the science and spirituality space here and also mm relate that to what's happening as we explore these higher um, explorations of consciousness and those densities. And so it'll be uh, in this, in this uh, theories of everything actually could be kind of cool for QRI to um, be featured by Kurt Jaimungal in the theories of everything um, <laughs> podcast as well. Um, so just to, just to wrap a little bit here on the, on this. Um, um, so in, so in essence, on on the um, on the left, um, and what do you call this? Is a torus, but what yes. do you call this? A puff? No, well, right, yeah, yeah. a sphere. It's uh, maybe, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the puff that the condom bubble over the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you guys call it a sphere. Right? You guys yeah. just call it a sphere? Okay, cool. I, I just wrote puff. I thought puff was so funny because puff puff makes it a little more able to be um non uh because it doesn't look exactly spherical, right? It looks like it's a little bit 
um, off sphere or is it exactly sphere? Uh, it doesn't matter. Okay. Actually, as, as long as the, the topology is of a sphere, is you the cannot come. The general topology sphere and versus the general topology is donut with the whole empty center. Okay. Yeah. So, so again, so now we have this torus in the sphere. The torus is empty of self, these higher densities of consciousness, emptying of self. Um, so this is, uh, and you, were you were discussing this, there's no coagulation in the yeah. center. Yeah, that's so interesting. So the there's not an experiencer. There's just experience. Yeah. There's just arising. There's mm -hmm. just happenings. Not to an experiencer. There's no doer. It's just yeah. happenings, appearances. And then there's a um, the attention when the attention in this um, uh, donut. Um, the attention is like massive waves of attention with no um, fixations, just massive waves of yeah. attention. And then, um, and then in the sphere, the sphere one is a um, the sense of self is there, the ego is there, all the conditioning, the coagulation is, is there, and then. Yeah. Now, the combing means it can't be combed because as soon as you start combing, there's a prickly hair of condition. Is that right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. That's dope. Wow, this is, <laughs> this is quite interesting. I, um, I'm, I'm really feeling like much of what I've been um, synthesizing and distilling in the spiritual mystic literature and direct experience is... Um, very aligned with what is what with what you're sharing here with what is being explored here scientifically as well, which is very fascinating. Actually, this donut versus sphere um, could could you say that this sphere is the lower densities where the um, you're more in like the yellow ray, and then. Yeah. The, but but not yeah but I, I see what you're yeah because there's both in in every single one but um and then this shift more to the donut the torus is more of the higher densities that are more empty of self <laughs> so it yeah. could almost look like a spectrum from this to this to, um, to an extent yeah 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 and uh, it is I think for sure that um, basically with the lower densities. Uh, I mean, you could call it like there's more in in fighting or like more fighting with yourself because if you're like full of structures like that, essentially the the fields will not be able to arrange themselves in a way that they don't self intersect, and that is the thing that you want to avoid. I mean, we think like that's basically the source of suffering here. That basically, whenever the waves of energy inside you collide, that causes dissonance. So you have to reshape yourself in such a way that they actually just flow without colliding. And that is the, the high valence configurations. So cool, yeah. Flow without colliding. Wow. Great, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap. Um, so this has been fascinating. So you would say that this sort of um, this is one of the best visualizations, potentially the sphere to the torus of the 
um, the densities of, of consciousness as they appear? Yeah, it would be one of maybe a couple that I would probably select. But I'll, yeah, I'll have to think of a, a, a clean way of explaining it. I might make a video about it. Yeah. That's dope. Okay, so um, yeah, and so by the way, for everyone that's tuning in, um, thank you. We love you. Uh, we're, <laughs> so, uh, we're so fucking grateful, fam. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Definitely. And um, and you can find the link to Andres's YouTube channel in the bio of the video where he has a lot of other content on his channel that helps unpack what he's been talking about. Um, and so subscribe to his channel, go and check it out, um, like his content there. Um, if this video also brought you value, give it a like, help the algorithm, uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't yet. Also share the video with other people that you feel like this would resonate with energy and consciousness, baby, the synthesis yep. of science and spirituality, baby, QRI. That's right. <laughs> and, um, also uh, leave us a comment below with your thoughts on the episode. We would love to also hear from you. And also you can support Qualia Research Institute. They have a, a donate button. You can go and support them and uh, join their efforts because they're independent. They're still not, um, yeah, still completely independent, not, yeah. So there's, um, it's really important basically for us to um, collectively uh, fund their efforts and so um get behind them if you believe in what andres has been sharing if it's really resonant with you go and support them so they can continue they've been bringing on um new people onto staff and taking on new projects which is awesome and there are all these like new fresh people that are um graduating or that are just really fascinated about this field and that are getting involved in their efforts so they're also scaling up which is great um I will, I will stop the screen sharing over here. And yeah, yeah, my brother. Um, thank you again, Andres. Infinite love for you, brother. This has been so, <laughs> so beautiful. What a great um, meeting. What a great meeting of our of us after so <laughs> long. Our energies reinforcing so beautifully here. Uh, thank you again so much. And congrats on all of the great. Oh, thank. You. Yeah. It's been it's been awesome learning from you and everything that you guys have been achieving. So great job! And thank you, uh, thank you so yeah. much. And yeah, yeah. In one one word here, I guess like it's the uh, the reason why we're a nonprofit is basically we think that uh, uh, yeah, basically we actually need to keep the science away from commercial interests. That like uh, you know we want to actually have like a science of consciousness, a science of well being. It has to be, yeah, really pure. Like it, it cannot be like influenced by, like, okay, what is the next product cycle going to say that we should say, or what is it that we should say that will make people like us? Actually, what we want to say is just the truth. You know, actually, whatever will actually help as many people as possible. In that sense, yeah, we are committed to being an, a nonprofit. We will eventually have like spin-off companies as like this research actually becomes like available for like diagnostic tools or like therapies. But uh, for the time being, it's a nonprofit and. We basically do kind of like require funding to maintain the nonprofit effort to the point where we can ultimately yeah, license uh, technologies or therapies, diagnostic tools. But uh, yeah, for the time being, any support is super, super appreciated. So and uh, and also, yeah, thank you so much for giving me uh, yeah this space and wonderful questions and conversations. It's uh, great talking to another uh, open individualist. <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> it's really fun.
Thank you. <laughs> so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And let's um let's go ahead. I will end the stream, but you and I will stay in the studio for just a quick minute, okay? Once Perfect. Bye everyone. Infinite love. Infinite please. Love everybody. Yeah.